0: Okay guys, we're going to talk now. We're in Lesson 10. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And for the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about what the Apostle Paul says about marriage. Marriage is a very hot topic. In fact, I just saw a quote that there have been more books written on marriage in the last 50 years what you can do, self-help books, all of that. More books written on marriage, Christian books written on marriage in the last 50 years than there has been in all the time of Christendom before that. And the guy who was quoting that said, now isn't it interesting, when in spite of all of all those books, the church has a higher divorce rate than the secular world does. The church has more problems marital-wise than the secular world. And so there are a lot of issues with the whole issue of marriage. Now, here's what happens. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about marriage and a lot to say about singleness and a lot to say about divorce. But for most people, what we go by is not what the Bible says. For most people, we go by what, first of all, the culture says. Number two, what our families say. We'll be influenced by our family members. Oh, well, you know, he left you. Well, you need to do this. And a lot of times you'll be influenced by your own thinking, whether it's right or wrong. And so what I want you to see is, is for us as believers, as Christians, the apostle is going to give us some specific things that you and I need to understand when it comes to the issue of our marriage. Now, here's the thing. As we present the standard of the Bible... That that's God's standard. Whether you do whatever you decide to do with that, you know, you're going to be responsible for your decision. But my task is simply just to present to you what his standard is. Do you understand what I'm saying? So let's let's look at it. We're going to start off how this whole issue comes up, because notice we've talked about several different things now. We've talked about disputing and fighting there. We've talked about lawsuits. We've talked about sexual matters. We've talked about their tolerance of a a brother who is not doing right in an area of sexual sin. And so now he gets to chapter 7, and he's going to address a new issue now. And so I want you to notice with me verses 7 through 9. Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, And let each woman have his own husband, her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control but i say this as a concession not as a commandment for i wish that all men were even as myself but each one has his own gift from god each one in this manner and one in this manner and another in that But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So let's talk about what he's saying here. First of all, he's going to address the issue of celibacy. Paul is addressing an issue that the Corinthians wrote to him about. So what follows here in this chapter is a response from his part concerning a question that they have. Now, we don't know exactly what the question was. We can kind of guess what the question was based upon the passage we were reading. Probably there were some there who were saying that it would be better for Christians to remain single, not to marry at all. And they were judging their spirituality. Remember, that's what they were doing in this church. They were having spiritual pride over many issues. And so maybe there were some single folks there who were saying, well, we're more spiritual because we have not gotten married. And so he's trying to address this issue with him. And so he's writing to them concerning an issue that they wrote about. Now, here's what he does. He affirms, Paul affirms, that celibacy is good. You know, this is something that every one of us need to be aware of in here. Because here's what happens in the church. If you find somebody who is not married, who's single, I can almost guarantee you that if you were to go talk to that single person, and I know this because I didn't get married until I was 27. I can almost guarantee you if you were to go talk to that single person and say to them, do you have a lot of people asking you about when you're going to get married? They will more than likely say to you, yeah, all the time. If you're asking, where does that happen most often? Where do you think it happens most often? In the church. In the church. Now, isn't that interesting? That is our practice. But here the Apostle Paul is affirming that for them to be single, it is what? Good. Good. Now, anybody know why? Because it almost sounds crazy, doesn't it? In our culture, you know, got to be with somebody why would he say it's good? Anybody have any ideas? Okay, we'll talk about that later. True devotion to God. They'll be totally devoted to God. And we'll talk about that aspect of it later. Anybody else? What? Single-minded? All right. Anybody know practically why he's talking about it? Let me help guide your thought process a little bit. When was this letter written? Anybody? hundred years ago? When was it written? Almost 2,000 years ago. What was happening with the church at that time? Persecution. Was it pretty severe? Is it easier for somebody, if they're single, to face persecution than if they're married? Okay, let's ask you some of you married folks here. Let's say you get persecuted. You get arrested. Your family gets arrested. Typical tactic in that day was to torture who... As a torture of you, children, or your wife, or your family You see what I'm saying. So do you understand the practical aspect of what Paul's saying here? You understand there's a practical aspect of it. Now he's going to give a concession here, so I don't want everybody to think, well, Paul wants everybody to be single because you're saying, well, I'm doomed then because I'm already married. No, but I want you to notice number number two, verse two there. Notice what it says. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Here's what the, Paul does. Paul encourages people to marry to avoid sexual immorality. See, here's the thing. Paul understands, because he's a guy. I don't want you to think something. How many of you remember um, Star Wars? The, the next generation, I believe it was. And they had that guy, Data, or whatever his name is, that was, you know, the, what? Well, yeah, an android. But he had no emotions whatsoever. Or, or even Mr. Spock. How many of you remember Mr. Spock, Mr. Emotionalist? Now, here's the problem. Paul's not like that. Paul understands that as a human being, all of us have been created by God with what? Not just emotions. Not just feelings, Bruce. Sexual desires. Those are natural. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, verse 1, he's saying, guys, I'm going to respond to something that you've asked me about it is good for a person to remain single. And in his mind, he's thinking a lot of different reasons why. Devotion to God, as we've mentioned. Also because of the situation of persecution. Then he says, but however, if it is also good for you to marry if you can't handle or can't control your, your desires that are within you rather than you go off and commit what? Sexual sin sexual sin. So, here's what he's talking about. So, he encourages people to marry to avoid sexual immorality. Now, here's the responsibility. Now, he's going to talk about the responsibility of spouses. Now, we'll spend some time here because maybe you won't like what I'm going to say or what he says. Look at what he says here, verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over his own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Okay, let me just stop for a moment. These verses right here, I can almost guarantee you that that some of you ladies hate these verses. And, And the reason why is because maybe they have been misused. Because they've been used out of selfishness. Now, having been used out of selfishness, can I be honest with you, that is a total contradiction to what he's saying here. So here's what we're going to talk about here. First of all, spouses are responsible to satisfy each other's sexual needs. Spouses are responsible to satisfy each other's sexual needs, period. And he's going to tell you why in a moment, and I'll get to you, I'm going to explain the why here in a moment in a little bit more detail. When you have a couple that comes together, remember what he said. He said it's good for everybody to be single, but if you can't handle your, your sexual desires, then what does he say? It's better for you to marry so that you don't go around committing sexual immorality. So then he goes one step further because he, Paul's a realist. Paul understands nothing new has changed. What, what marriage couples are facing today is not anything new that marriage couples have not faced over the last 2,000 years. I would say since Adam and Eve. And so here he is, he's saying to them, look, guys, so because you're coming together and part of that coming together is the fulfillment of sexual desires, you have a responsibility to each other to satisfy the other spouse. You have a responsibility. Now, here's what he's saying. Now, this is what you're not going to like. Physically your body belongs to your spouse. Now, you're saying, okay, yeah, I understand that, but I don't like the way that's being used. Well, let me explain something to you. Notice what he says here in particular. Verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here's the issue. In marriage, a person is no longer independent. You understand? Here's what happens. When when you get two married people, they come together. You get two independent people coming together. They're, they did their own thing, even though if they maybe lived at home with their mom or dad, they, they did basically did their own thing. And so they come together. And a lot of times in those first years of marriage, there's a lot of friction that has to deal with what? The two independent people. Wanting things done their own way. And so as you see, as the marriage progresses, they kind of learn the art of What? Sharing or compromise. They learn how to what? Not live separately in the same house, but to live together. And what comes with that, and here's the key with that. The key with that is is that I place the needs of the other person before my own. And I'm still learning that with Lori. And now I've got the kids. So it's not just Lori's needs before my own. It's the needs of the what? Kids before my own. So, now let's now say, what does that have to do with what we're talking about here? Here's the point. A lot of you have seen these verses used as a weapon, right? To you need this, have this happen in this marriage. Typically, you never see a woman use these verses. Have you noticed that? Women don't use these verses. Typically, it's from who? Men. Because men tend to have stronger, what? Sex drives than women. In fact, here's the statistic. How many times do you think men think about sex during the day? Okay. Okay, he said 50. Okay. How many times do you think women? Okay, here's the truth. 32 times for a man, I think four times for a woman. That's just so you understand what I'm talking about here. So, obviously, the women are not using this verse. And, and it's because probably with the man you don't have to use these verses. You won't have to use these verses. Now, here's my point. What I want you to see is, the point I want you to see is, Paul's saying to them, in marriage, marriage is you placing the needs of the other person before your own for harmony in the marriage and for wholeness in the marriage. Now, here's the reason why, because he gives a warning. Here's the reason why. Look at verse 5, first part of verse 5. Do not deprive one another except for consent that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together against so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of control. First thing he does is that he warns them not to deprive deprive their spouses of sexual fulfillment. Don't deprive your spouses of sexual fulfillment. Notice something. Why? Look at the last part of verse five. Somebody, what's the reason? Why? Let Satan tempt you or tempt your spouse. Now. Here, I'm going to give you a title of a book. It's a great book. I think you need to get it and read it. It's uh, by a gentleman by the name of Harley. And that's H-A-R-L-E-Y. Forget his first name. But the book is entitled, His Needs, Her Needs. His Needs, Her Needs. And the book very clearly talks about the issue of meeting each other's needs and what those needs are. Because the needs of a male is different than the need of a female. Does everybody understand me? Now, here's the reason why. In the beginning of the book, and this is a great illustration, because he says, grasping this will affair-proof your marriage. And this is what's happening, and you need to listen to what I'm saying about it because what we're talking about here is a key to affair-proofing your marriage. Here's what he says. He uses the illustration of banking to provide what I'm talking about. He uses the illustration of banking. He calls it the love bank. When you first meet your special someone, each of you, because of your attraction, because of the things you're doing, the phone calls you make. Do you ever notice that when you first dated them, you used to talk to them all the time? You would make, now when they call, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. You call me back later. I got this, you know. So here's what's happening. When you first, you were making deposits, you, positive experiences with that person were deposits in the love bank. And so when you first started getting together, I mean, the bank account was huge. The deposit in the bank account were huge in that love bank. Now, a negative experience is a withdrawal. Now, maybe you had some negative experiences, and, but yet there were plenty more positive experiences with that person to offset the negative, right? Okay, now here's what happens. Then you get married. You move in with him. And you find out he leaves his underwear laying around on the floor. And you find out that she's got her quirky stuff too. And then here's what happens. Because you're two independent people, you come together. There are beginning to be more, what? negative experiences than positive. You have some positive, lots of negative. And even though, okay, and so after a few years, maybe about three, because that's the average, three years, all of a sudden, you have more, you're, you're, you're overdrawing. You're, you're in the red. Well, you're not, and, and, and this bank isn't going to send you a notice saying, we're going to charge you for having, you know, lack of sufficient funds there. So you begin to have, your, so a lot of people, their, their, their love bank account with their marriage is in the red. Now here's what happens. She or he has somebody else, maybe it's somebody at work, maybe it's somebody in the church, maybe it's somebody in a social group, maybe even somebody in a family. This stuff happens today. They meet somebody else, and it doesn't have to start with just overt sexual whatever. It could just simply be a positive experience. Maybe they just expressed appreciation. Oh, thank you for doing that for me. Ooh, somebody thanked me. That's how it starts happening. And so more and more, after a while, more deposits are being made by somebody else. Well, let's take a guy, Joe Schmo. He goes to work. He meets Cindy Q. Cindy Q shows respect for the work he's doing. She's making all of these deposits. Joe Schmo goes home to Betty. Betty, it's negative. Can't you pick up your dirty clothes? Can't you help with the kids? What's this, you know? And it's like, holy cow, Cindy Q's a whole lot better. And so what happens is, is that eventually, guess what happens? He leaves Betty for who? Cindy. Now, here's what happens. When the love bank depreciates at home, what happens to sexual intimacy? Is there any? Probably not. See, this is why. Th- this is just a practical reason that Harley talks about it. Getting back to what the Bible says. The Bible says, look, you need to be reflective of each other's needs. You need to place the other person before yourself. And when you do that, you need to satisfy their sexual needs. Because if you don't, you're going to lead them into temptation. And believe me, Satan will tempt them. You say, Willie? Trust me, he wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy marriage because who created marriage? God created marriage. you understand the devastation that he can cause in your families? See, this is the point he's making here. So, then let's go on. So, here's he says. Now, if you're, going to, if you're not going to have sex, make it only for a little bit. Here's the reason why. Paul allows for a mutually accepted period of abstinence for spiritual refreshment. Now, here's the point. Mutually accepted. Both of you come together and say, okay, let's, let's just take some time off. Trust me, guys, she's asking for some time off. Give her some time off. Give her some time off. Because here's the reason why. If she's asking for time off, if you're continually pushing, 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 pushing the issue, it's only going to have what kind of an effect on your marriage and especially on that area of your marriage. Negative. She's going to hate it. So, you come together and you, you make that agreement. And here he says, specifically for the purpose of what? Spiritual refreshment. So, some of you are going to say, okay, I'd like to have a period of fasting. I'm going to fast for 30 days. You know? Whatever. That's that's the point. So, here's the point. Now, here he goes on. Now, he's saying this. It's, he's not... He's, it's not Paul is not giving this concession as a command, but as a suggestion. He's not giving this concession as a command, but as a suggestion. So what he's saying here about even just separating for spiritual refreshment, don't take that as a command. What what, what I want you to take out of it, there is a principle. It needs to be what? Mutually what? Agreed with. You've got to communicate. You've got to talk to each other. You've got to talk about it. Guys, you've got to talk, you've got to listen. Big thing, ladies like to be listened to. Yes, they may run around the barn 50 times before they walk through the door. But you've got to listen to them run around the barn 50 times before you finally get through the door. That's just reality. But you know what? She'll feel great that you listened. And a lot of times the frustration will be, well, he just doesn't know, understand me, he doesn't. Listen, have you ever noticed something, guys? I, I figured this out the year, probably a year and a half before we married Lori. I took a ministry team up to her home church to do some youth ministry work from Liberty University. And Lori and I were dating. And I was driving one vehicle with all the guys and she was driving another vehicle with the girls. I think we were engaged. And when we got up to home Pennsylvania, which is right down here in Indiana County, we had a tip that weekend. You know, Couples have tips, right? Okay, we had a tip. Okay, so on the way back, I'm stooling about whatever this tip is about. I don't even remember what it was about. Probably something trivial and stupid, but that's life, isn't it? We're, we, we get down 522. We get onto 81, and we've got to do a bathroom run. So we stop in, and uh, so there she is. All the girls go in. The guys go in, Lori says, So, uh, probably been talking to the guys about what we were arguing about, right? I said, no. Well, the ladies and I have been talking about it. I said, really? We have not talked at all. You know, and isn't that true? Ladies will talk about it. And, and it was hard for me, even in the first few years of our marriage, because, you know, we'd have a, a duke out thing or whatever, and she talked to her sister or her mom. I, wouldn't, I said, I would never talk to my mom about this, you know? So, guys, you've got to understand, ladies have to talk to somebody. And if they don't talk to you, they're going to who? Talk to somebody else. And trust me, somebody, another guy will listen. Another guy will listen. Ladies, if you don't show him respect at home, somebody else will show respect. Somebody else will show respect. It happens. I have seen it. I have seen it in the years before I came here. I've seen it in my pastoral ministry. Couple, great couple. Neighbor ladies start showing him more attention than his own wife does. Guess what? He leaves his wife for her. It's real. So I guess the principle you can draw out of it is is that you communicate to each other and that you talk to each other and come to some sort of agreement about stuff. Come to some sort of agreement. So then here's what he says, verse 7 I wish that all men were even as myself, we're getting back to the issue of celibacy now, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that manner. Okay, so here's the ball. First thing he wants to say is this. Paul wishes that all were like him. So he's saying, God, I wish everybody could be single like me. But he's not saying that that's reality, that you should do that. So here's what he's saying. He points out that God gives the gift of marriage or singleness. Can I be honest with you? There are some people who are meant to be single. And then there are some people who are meant to be married. God has given that gift. In fact, I know some single people. I'm going to be honest with you. It'll be nuclear war if they ever got married because I know their personalities. There ain't nobody created to be with that guy. You know what I'm saying? There's nobody created to be with that gal. It's best for them to be single. But here they come to church, and they come to church, and guess what? The church is saying, so how long are you going to be single, man? Have you found any ladies yet? I can match you up with somebody. And we're putting pressure on them, not recognizing that maybe God has given some the gift to be what? Single. And he has definitely given a lot of people the gift to be what? There. Now, here, let, me, let me just kind of cheer you up a little bit. I just saw this statistic. By the time people reach the age of 65, 80% of them have been married. So here they are, maybe they're in their 20s and they're not married yet. Give them a break. They haven't reached 60 yet. They're going to marry somebody. Let them find somebody. Let them find the one that God wants for them, okay? All right? Here, let me just give you a side note. Here's the the problem. The pressure we put on singles to get married will oftentimes force them to marry an unbeliever. Let me ask you a question, those of you who like to be matchmakers. How many of you would like to afflict somebody with a mortal wound? How many of you would like to afflict somebody with a, with a, with a disease that they can never get rid of, that just afflicts them emotionally and hurts them? How many of you would like to do that? Why then will we put pressure on people to get married when they haven't found another believer to find yet to get married to? because here's what I'm saying, and I know this, because I have talked to many ladies who have been married to unbelievers. And it is an affliction to their soul because they so long for their husband to know the same Jesus that they do. And it's an affliction. But you know what? When we're talking about, oh, hey, hey, how you doing, Cindy Lou? What do you mean you're still single? Man, I know a guy! And all we're thinking about is getting them matched up First of all, can can we just be it? how many of you have, I mean, have, listen, marriage is a rocky road, is it not? What, are you, sadistic? I mean, it takes a special somebody to get through it. Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to work through stuff, don't you? And it's hard work. And the reason why the divorce rate is so high is because people don't want to work through it. It takes some guts to be married. But we don't tell people that. And so Paul says, look, we've got to recognize that some are given the gift of singleness. That's and we don't know who they are. How many of you know who's got the gift of singleness here? Nobody knows that, do they? Only God does. But then a lot of folks have the gift of marriage. So let's go on. Now he talks about the unmarried and the widows. And here's what he says. Paul encourages the unmarried and the widows to remain single. And again, we are to remember the cultural context here. We're talking about a time when persecution was severe... And so it would be better for them to what? Remain single. So then he goes on, but he says this. They should marry if temptation to sexual immorality is great. Listen, it's better, because here's what happens. Here's the culture. The culture says, oh, well, you know, just stay single. But, you know, as you're staying single, you can be devoted to God. But if you need to hook up, which is the term for getting with somebody else these days, then just hook up with somebody. God gave you those desires. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you stay single, but if you can't handle it, if your desires are so strong, then find a woman. Find a man. Get married. So then now notice now with me, verses 10 through 16, we're going to finish up here, the issue of marriage and divorce. Now to the married, I command yet not I, but the Lord... A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does not depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. A husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to leave, live with him, let him not divorce, divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he is willing to live with her let her not divorce him for an unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and an unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband otherwise your children would be unclean but now they are holy but if an unbeliever departs let him depart if a brother or sister a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases but God has called us to peace For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Okay, so here we're going to talk about the issue of marriage and divorce. This is a very real issue today. As I've already mentioned to you, among Baptists, the divorce rate is higher than outside in the secular world. Three out of five marriages end in divorce now. Do you realize that? And the divorce rate is even higher among those who called on the name of Jesus Christ. Sounds like something's not right there, is it? So here's what I want you to see. First of all, Paul reiterates a command from the Lord. Here's a command. This is what it is. The command is that a person is not to divorce. This, You know, divorce was really not a big issue until about the 50s and the 60s with the whole no-fault divorce thing. Because before that time... It took a lot for somebody to get divorced in our country. Do you realize that? It took a lot for people to get a divorce before the no-fault divorce happened. I mean, you had to go to court. You had to prove stuff. I mean, now you don't even just have to sign papers. You don't even have to go to court. So before, it was really difficult to get a divorce. So this really is not an issue. It's been an issue now because now all you're going to do is just Divorce. You know, hey, I don't like that things are getting tough at home. Got to work through this. Hey, so and so, it works, paying me a lot more attention. I'll just get rid of her. In fact, here's what we've done. Do you remember what it was like in high school? Let me just stop for a moment. Do you remember what it was like in high school? Some of you maybe think back a long time, but do you remember what it was like in high school? Dating. You date a gal or you date a guy, and you know you were in love. Okay. Do you remember? You were in love. Maybe I'm scaring some of you with some of the remembrances of who you were in love with. Because you see them now. Now, here you are. You were in love. And, and, and you, so you, you went together. You went together. All right? Now, here's what happened. You went together until what happened? Somebody else caught your eye. Then what did you do? You broke up. You dropped them like a hot potato, or you two-timed them. That means you got with the other person as well, you know what I'm saying? But here's what you did. And, 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 and so you just dropped them and went on to somebody else. Now, here's what we've done with the no-fault divorce. We've taken that high school mentality and carried it over into our adult lives. So where I'm, I'm going to be married to you until, oh, my, somebody else has got my attention. And I'm just going to drop you, and it's real easy. And it's all because of what? Selfishness. The key word in all of this about marriage is selfishness. Does everybody understand? You may want to write that down in your book. The key word is selfishness. Putting yourself before the needs of somebody else. And what you want. What you want. So Paul's saying here, look, he's saying, I'm going to reiterate a command to you. The command to you is don't divorce. Now listen, I'm going to explain something. I tell this to couples when I do premarital. Don't carry the divorce card. Some of you like card games. And you know about trumps. Don't carry the divorce card to trump it. whenever you feel that things are getting too hairy and you're out of here. As a Christian, you can't carry the divorce card. If this just gets too bad, listen, you can work through it. In fact, here's what I tell people. They come to me and they come to me with their problems. I say to them, and I only meet with them initially, just so you know, I'm not the big counselor guy. I will meet with people up to three or four times, and then I refer them out to trained professional counselors to help guide them through their issue. Now, here's my point. Here's what I will say to them. God will do everything he can to help you in your marriage, but you've got to go to him. You've got to give up yourself, and you've got to go to him and say, I need your help, Lord. And you've got to trust him to guide you through it. Now, it's going to be a rocky road, because it took you a while to get there, and it isn't going to be instant to get you out of it. Can I, can I stop for a moment? If you do go to me or if you do go to a counselor, does everybody understand? It took you a while to get to your marriage problems. Nobody is a miracle worker to just instantly get you out of them. So the process was long to get you there. Believe me, it'll be long to get you out of it. And you've got to have the stick-to-itiveness to say that this marriage is more important than my personal feelings and we're going to get through this issue. So divorce is not, an, is not an option. So that's what he's saying here. He goes on and he says this. If a person is divorced, a divorced person is to remain single or reconcile. Now what does reconcile mean here? It means that if a person is divorced, they're either to remain single or they're to go and try to make it right with the person they got divorced from. What, are you kidding? Because our culture says, dump them, baby. Move on. Hey, but it it's interesting. Studies have shown that within the first six months of divorce, the parties who divorced wish they could get back together with their spouse. First six months after a divorce, they wish that somehow they could have worked it out. I have had two gentlemen in my ministry. It wasn't here in this community. It was in another community. Two gentlemen who left their wives for another woman married the other woman, come to me two separate different occasions, both of them said the same thing to me. I wish I had my first wife back. Isn't that interesting? See, what happens is, and I know family members who do that. Oh, wait, you divorced? Well dump them. Here, I'll help you find somebody. Christian people doing this kind of junk. When Christian people should say, hey, you know, even though you're divorced, let's try to work this out. Let's try to work it out for the sake of your kids, for the sake of the family, for the sake of you and her. Let's work it out. And they don't do that. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, remain single or be reconciled. And here's what he says. Now, here's the issue about having a spouse who doesn't believe. Paul tells the believing spouse not to leave if the unbelieving spouse wishes to stay. You can't use the excuse, well, he doesn't know Jesus or she doesn't know Jesus. I'm out of here. You can't use that excuse. If that person is willing to stay with you, you stay with them. Period. Okay, here's the thing. It goes on. The Christian spouse is a channel of God's grace in that marriage. Do you realize, first of all, if you're a Christian, who lives within you? The Holy Spirit lives within you. So there you are in that home with an unbelieving spouse. You are the channel... For God to work through in that person's life. Does everybody understand me? For you to say, I'm out of here, you're going to remove that channel. If that person is willing to live with you, you stay there. You stay there. But the culture... The culture will what? Tell you to get out of there. Tell you to get out of there. Here's another one. Now, if they decide they want to leave... Paul tells the believer to let the unbelieving spouse leave if they wish. If they want to leave, you let them go. That's the place. That's what he's saying. Here's the reason why. Here's the principle. The Christian might be used to help the unbelieving spouse experience salvation. You know, there's a parallel passage I'll give you, and we're going to close with this. It's in 1 Peter chapter 3. Ladies, if you don't know this one, you need to. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Here's what he says. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, even if some do not obey the word. That is, even if some are not believers. They, without the word, may be won by what? The conduct of the wives. So, here's what he's saying. If you're married to an unbelieving spouse, your conduct may be the testimony to bring them to Christ. Now, here's what he says: and when you, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, so it's how you live your life. So, some of you are nagging, you're pestering your spouse. You know, you need to come to church. Can I be honest with you? How many of you remember? I mean. Where were the little children still in the way? I many remember being told over and over to do something? What was your first initial response to that? I ain't doing it. And so you have a spouse who is hammering you. And let me be honest, it's hammering. Nagging. Hammering you to do the thing. Your initial response is, especially if the love blanket bank is depleted, your initial response is to what? I ain't doing this. How many of you love to be nagged? How many of you love your mom calling you up and just nagging you? Well, you know, you got to do this. How many of you just want to hang the phone up, don't you? Nobody loves to be nagged. Nagging never, never led anybody to Jesus. Love and a life did. That's the point he's making. Okay, so next week we're going to continue on. Look at the second part here. He's going to talk about God's calling next week. He's going to talk about singleness and ministry and the issue of marriage. Okay, let's let's, uh, close the comment.